So this week uh, is entitled, like I said, Surround Yourself with Faith Builders. Uh, Cindy added on to that, Surround Yourself with Faith Builders and Avoid Faith Killers. And that's where I'm going to start off tonight, is separating ourselves from faith killers. You know, this is really kind of based and geared around uh, people that are um, fighting something, fighting a sickness, a disease, fighting something that you're actually looking for healing for, uh, and that's what the focus will be. But I believe the foundation of this teaching tonight fits many areas of our life and not just healing. And as we go through, I think it'll be unveiled to you. So if you're not fighting anything, just pay attention, and I believe you will receive out of this uh, word that's coming forth from the Lord tonight. So let's get going. Uh, We've got a lot of ground to cover, and I want to get us out of here on time. The importance of separating yourself from faith killers Um, Many of you know, some of you might not know, that I was attacked with cancer several years ago, seven or eight years ago now. And um, in the journey that I went through and my family went through and Fran and I went through, uh, the Lord revealed a lot of things to me and us very quickly And I believe it was because we had went through a period of time where I had separated myself from religion. Not saying that that was a good thing at the the time, but God used that and turned that into something good. Because I was born and raised Baptist. I was born and raised that healing was not for today. I was born and raised believing that God can heal, but whether he decides to heal an individual or not is strictly up to him. God is in control. God is sovereign. And then we need to just praise him and thank him no matter what the situation, uh, how it turns out. So that's my background. That was my foundation. But we had, for one reason or another, uh, a lot of things happened at our church. And We were very heavily involved with our church. Uh, My dad was a deacon. He was a teacher, Sunday school teacher. So we were uh, really, really involved. But it came to a point where I just stopped. We didn't go to church at all for probably 10 years. I mean, it was a while. But up to that point, I was so stubborn on the doctrine that had been preached to me and taught to me that there was no talking to me about healing. There was no talking to me about things that really came up against, with, uh, against the things that I had been taught in my, in my Baptist background. Uh, speaking in tongues was another one that was, I had a really hard time with and just would fight you tooth and to- toenail about the, the, the validity, validity of that and the, uh, and the reality of that, and if it's really of God or not. Uh, but, like I said, that separation of that time when I was attacked with cancer, I was able to look at things differently. I was open 
to receiving and hearing possibility that maybe I was wrong. And see, that's what a lot of times we just have to be willing to admit that we might have been wrong, we might have been taught wrong, um, and a lot of times it's not our fault. You know, it's just we've been uh, shepherded by shepherds that have not really been teaching the truth of the word. And that's exactly what had happened to me. Um, and, and not going and picking on the Baptists. I mean, the Baptists, uh, they believe in Jesus. They uh, believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection and being born again. And the foundation, O truths, are there. And please don't get me wrong, and if you're a Baptist, uh, that's not my intention you know, to pick Baptists up, but every religion has got their own little quirks. God didn't, never meant for us to be religious. God wants us to have a relationship with him. Religion and denominations, denominations actually means divisions. So we of the church have actually divided ourselves and we're supposed to be one body. We're supposed to be of Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ. And the enemy has come in and divided us over, when you get down to it, it's very silly, you know, things that are meant to be powerful weapons for us to use. And the enemy deceives us and tricks us and thinking that they are, um, they're stupid, they're, they're worthless, they're powerless, you know, they're just anything he can do to, to make you think that it's, uh, it's not of God. You know, Satan uses religion more than any other tool to deceive people. It's not, I mean, it's easy to, when you're around something evil, when you're experiencing something evil, I mean, it, it's easy to tell it's evil. But when you're in a church, sometimes it's not so easy to discern whether something is evil or not. But if you're speaking antichrist words and the preacher is, is preaching antichrist words and saying stuff like, it may not be God's will to heal you, I can show you in the word where it says it is God's will to heal you. Jesus came to reveal the will of God. Jesus went around preaching and teaching and healing all that came to him. All, not some, but all. So that reveals the will of God. That's the will of God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So it is Jesus' will, God's will, to heal us today as much as it was over 2,000 years ago when he was walking the earth. So to say that it might not be God's will, <clears throat> I have to disagree with that. And those are antichrist words because that does not line up with the word that I'm reading. So it's things like that that can build a wall up and lock a door, you know, and just get you in a position where, like, you're not even willing to hear. Like, that, that's the way I was. I wasn't even willing to hear. I didn't want to hear about it. I didn't want to talk about it because it always ended up in a big argument. Fran uh, was raised in a, a different denomination, had its own quirks, and... <laughs> and, and uh, issues to deal with, but uh, they did believe in healing. They did believe that it was God's will, you know, to heal you. And she always, not always, but she would oftentimes try to uh, bring things up and, and discuss it, and we always just end up, you know, fighting about it. And I just wasn't really 
willing or ready to receive and hear those things. <clears throat> but when I came to the point where I was diagnosed with cancer, and it's funny how sometimes things like that will make you change your mind and make you think again that maybe I should listen. <laughs> maybe I don't know it all. Maybe I don't know everything correctly. And maybe I should you know, really listen. So the point is my separation uh, time, I, I got away from uh, the uh, faith killers that were being spewed at me week after week. And at that time, I was willing and able to receive a lot better than if it had happened when I was still going uh, to, the, to the Baptist church. I learned that this was a very important step, not only at that point, but as we continued uh, down this journey, that we needed to listen to the Lord, we needed to pray to the Lord, we needed to ask the Lord where we where we should go, who we should listen to, and who we should uh, <clears throat> attend and what services we should attend that would build faith. And I, I really, I, I kind of, I don't like even the term like faith builder. I'd like to turn it around and say faith revealer because we have the faith in us. As a born-again believer, you have the faith of Jesus Christ. It's fruit, part of the fruit of the Spirit. Faith, love, joy, hope, and uh, others that are already there. So the faith is already there. You know, so for us to present that we have to build our faith is not really an accurate statement. <clears throat> we need to reveal the faith that's already inside of us, that's already in our born-again spirit. And yes, that will build, but it's not something that we have to like start from scratch and, and start from zero. The whole thing is there, but we're basically scraping away and wiping away the residual effects of our bad thinking and, and discovering the faith that is already there and has been there the whole time that we've been a born-again believer. So that's part of my testimony, and, and we actually left, the, and we did start going again uh, to a church. It was a non-denominational church. But even there, uh, we thought we were safe, but we quickly learned that uh, they had very similar teachings um, of, you know, God is in control, and they never say that it was God's will to heal you. We were heavily involved with the church. I was uh, on usher team. I was head of security in that church. Uh, Fran was uh, on staff at, at the church. <clears throat> but my point is that it's not always easy. You know, Fran, th it was a paid position Fran had. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, I had, we had, I'd worked my way up and, uh, you know, head of security and stuff. And we had a lot of friends. I mean, just you know, tons of friends, because it's a huge church, large church. And <clears throat> But the Lord told us we needed to separate ourselves from that and get away because I was in the middle of a battle and I was in the middle of a fight and these faith-killing words that were being taught and even 
people would just go around talking about that. When they found out you had something, you know, they loved to come up and start, you know, giving you their opinion or uh, what happened to their aunt so-and-so who had, was diagnosed with the same thing and, you know, she died and she didn't make it. And, and all these things are things that you have to uh, stand against. These are all seeds that are coming at you that if you let these seeds get in there and plant themselves and take root, you, it might, you might not think it's going to bother you at that, at that minute, but there will be times like in the middle of the night and you'll be sitting there and you're trying to go to sleep and all of a sudden you'll, you'll remember something that somebody said, well, aunt so-and-so died of the same thing that I was diagnosed with, you know, and she was believing for healing. And those are things that will work on your mind. And the more you can separate yourself from these <clears throat> faith-killing situations, the better. And sometimes it's tough to make a decision, you know, to leave. It was tough for Fran and I to make that decision to leave. But we did it, and it was... <clears throat> tough at the time, but as soon as we did, it was like, uh, it was just like, it was washed clean, and uh, put ourselves in a position to hear um, words that were revealing the faith that was in us. It was very, very refreshing. So what we thought was going to be difficult really ended up being a good thing. Jesus is all about separating. In fact, uh, I think the first scripture, we don't have the scriptures on the screen tonight, Aaron, uh, and I want to take the opportunity to thank Aaron uh, for, um, she just got home yesterday for, from vacation, so she's running the video camera, and uh, it's hard for her to do the scriptures and the video camera at the same time. But I, I took the time to write all the scriptures out on the, uh, on the sheets that you got. So if you didn't get... Uh, one, just raise your hand and somebody will get you one of those. So the words are, the scripture is all there for you. Uh, Matthew ten thirty four through 36. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. See, that's, you know, a lot of people, even people that argue that uh, Jesus isn't real and, and, and Jesus isn't, didn't do what he really said he came to do. They think that, he came to bring peace on earth, like peace among men. And that's not true. And it's evident today there sure is not peace among men, and it, it's only gotten worse since Jesus came. Jesus came to bring peace between God and man if you will receive it. Many people are rejecting it. But the peace that Jesus brought was to restore the relationship between the Father and us, his children. He did not bring peace toward and between men. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now see, Jesus isn't saying that if you start, you know, uh, believing in him and uh, are born again that you have to automatically leave your family. What he's saying is if you do, you become born again, there's a chance 
that your family is going to come against you. And they are going to fight you on it. And they are going to argue. And, and some religions are, are more um, adamant about this. Like even the Muslim religion. I mean, there's people that they leave and they are born again. And they risk being killed. Their family looks to kill them because they're leaving it and are born again. And a born again believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, this is what Jesus is talking about. So you, he, he's saying you have to be prepared that you know, if you start um, declaring that you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, that people are going to reject you and people are going to come against you, even your family. And it might be your family are the worst ones that come in. And as you even get into the uh, understanding of the word and the healing ministry. And for some reason, the healing ministry is one of the touchiest subjects out there, especially in amongst religious groups. You know, they are um, just adamant uh, religions that just anti-healing. They do not believe in healing. They do not believe that you should give people that hope and that uh, expectancy that they they could be healed. You know, they think that's giving people a false hope. And they'll fight you tooth and toenail on it. <clears throat> but what Jesus is saying is, I want you to be prepared for that. And just like Fran and I, we had to separate ourselves from our family, which is the church family that we had at that time. We had to separate ourselves knowing that they did not believe you know, the way that, that we believe. The sword Jesus is talking about here, I believe, is, is the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So I think what Jesus is saying is, as you start believing in the word, then this is going to, take a sword and it's going to divide you and it should divide you from people who do not believe in the word and he wants us to be prepared to make that uh, make that sacrifice because in the long run it's going to be beneficial for you I want to read a little bit out of the out of uh, Greg's book in this chapter, he has a, uh, a testimony of uh, another couple. It was a pastor and his wife of a church. And they had a son named David uh, that was attacked with a tumor in his head, and it was behind his right eye. And there was a risk of him losing his sight and uh, you know, many, many other uh, things that uh, the doctors were uh, diagnosing with that, that tumor. But I want to share what they discovered in their situation. It says, Irene, uh, the, Irene and Stuart are the, the mother and father. Irene shared with us that while David was in the hospital receiving treatments, she and Stuart made it their focus to keep David's spirit and faith built up. In an environment where acute physical situations abound and worst-case scenarios are normal communication from medical professionals 
It is essential that we take strong measures to guard our hearts from doubt and fear. When we are in a faith fight, it is critical who we expose ourselves to. We need to avoid faith killers and unbelieving Christians who possess an eternal negative perspective and feel it is their duty to inform us of all the negative possibilities of our situation. So they discovered uh, in their journey that it was important to separate themselves as much as they can. And you're not going to get away from all of it, uh, especially if you're uh, you know, going to the conventional medical uh, community and being treated for sickness and disease. Be prepared, and Fran taught on this. Be prepared. You know, they are going to spew a lot of negative things at you, and it's their job. Number one, they make money off of treating sickness and disease. Number two, with the uh, the lawsuit happy society that we live in if they don't tell you every single possible thing that can possibly go wrong, and then that does happen to you, people will sue them because they say, you never said this. You never said this was a possibility. So they're going to throw out there every possible negative thing that probably, I'm not going to say you know, even a percentage, but chances are those things, some of those things or most of those things might not even happen. But when they throw those at you, a lot of times you start thinking about them in your mind and you start uh, mulling them over and meditating on them and it's another faith killer that you've got to deal with and get out. So the more we can uh, limit ourselves of putting ourselves in position of being exposed to a faith killer, faith-killing words, the better. Like I said, you're, you're not going to be able to get away from it 100%. But the more that you can get away from, the better. Jesus knew the importance of separating himself from unbelievers. Uh, let's look at Mark five thirty-five through 42. And he said, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue, or the, they came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him, accompany him except Peter and James and John and the brother, of James, or the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. You know, how common is that? Like when you make a statement, even though you've got a diagnosis and you say, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. I mean, I've had people laugh. Laugh. I've had people laugh at me. You know, so, yeah, right. You know, you, you've got that signal, you've got that diagnosis and you're saying you're healed. You know, what are you talking about? It's the same back then. They began laughing at him. Put, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talith Kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. See, Jesus 
separated himself from the faith killers because he knew that this would have an effect on the situation. It might have an effect on the mother and father uh, and the family that was in there and that he allowed to come in. So he made the possible uh, offensive move of saying, you know, stay out, separating. You guys get over there. Because these people were happier with the ministry of wailing instead of believing in the ministry of healing. And see, that's what we got to separate ourselves. we got to separate ourselves from the ministry of wailing and crying and complaining and uh, then put yourself under the uh, guidance of Jesus in the ministry of healing. It's far too easy for people to gravitate toward the darker side and to the negative. And some just have an unhealthy desire to talk about ailments and aches and pains. It's a way some people get attention, even. They use that as an attention getter. Some people are just craving attention and want to be uh, accepted in a group. And Fran and I have run into this quite a bit, and we've been involved with several healing ministries, not just this one, but we've run into people where they will have just great uh, manifestation of a healing one week, and then they'll be back the next and just complaining about the same thing all over again. And it was, it's something that's in some people that they think that this is a great way to get attention, even coming to a healing ministry, you know, because people that come in with, you know, diagnosis and sickness and disease, we give them attention. You know, we, we love on them, we, we pray for them, we lay hands on them, and they get attention. But some people just get caught in that, even though it's a negative um, attitude, they figure, well, it's better to be that way. At least I'm getting some kind of attention. And they really don't want to see the full manifestation here because that will take away the uh, attention that they, they're craving. Not all people are like that, but uh, there are some that are like that. Uh, people just naturally want to focus on the negative. How many times have you heard people say that I'm catching a healing? I don't think I've ever heard it. But how many times have you heard people say, I think I'm catching a cold? You know, so it's just in our uh, fallen state and the old man, before we were born again, that's the way our mind goes. It just goes the negative. It's the way that most of the world goes. It goes just leans toward the negative and, and just uh, knows that uh, there's, ver- there's, there's power in the negative, and that's what they are looking for, some kind of power. We need to starve doubts and feed on Jesus, the Word, who is the bread of life. We need to take these doubtful words, these words like, I'm, I'm catching a cold, and and give those no place in our vocabulary anymore. You need to starve that, and you need to start speaking the words of Jesus and that line up with the word, because Jesus is the bread of life. That's our life. 
And when we speak words like, by Jesus' stripes I am healed, uh, I have been healed, and I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, this is revealing what's really inside of you. And that's feeding the word and feeding the word that's inside of you so it can grow and manifest and push out those doubt-filled words. And we can only do that by separating ourselves as much as possible from faith-killing words. If you're going to doctors, uh, if you can take somebody with you that is strong, um, if you can't and you go to the doctor uh, and then you, you get these words thrown at you, get a hold of somebody that you know is strong in the Lord and have them come in agreement and take control over the negative words that might have been spoken over you. Another passage that shows the importance of separating ourselves is Mark eight twenty two through 26. So then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go to the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now, this seems strange and weird. And why did Jesus bring him out of the town? Why didn't he just heal him right there where he was? Well, if you do a little study on Bethsaida, you'll find out that it was a very evil city. It was full of of um, uh, worshiping idols. It was uh, very anti-God, and it was full of unbelief. And Jesus knew this. Because in Matthew eleven twenty-one through 22, it says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. See, it was a town that was full of unbelief. Now this can represent a circumstance or a situation that we're in. If we're in a situation or a place that's full of unbelief, we need to leave that Town. We need to leave that situation and get away from that. And that's what Jesus did. He pulled them out of town. He said he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the unbelieving town, the unbelieving situation that he was in. And then after he received his sight, you think, you say, oh, you know, you'll go and, and tell you know, everybody. But he said, neither go to the town nor tell anyone in the town. Because he probably knew this man was probably full of doubt still. And if he went back to the town, the town would probably fill him back with the negative and, and he might even lost, you know, the healing that had manifested in him. So it's very important as we, we come to the end of this section of separating ourselves from faith killers. And we can see in the word that, that Jesus did this. 
and put them in a situation where it would limit the negative words, the negative attitude, the negative religious beliefs that were, were coming against them. It's the same for us today. Now, the good news and what we should be doing is surrounding yourself with faith builders or faith revealers, especially during times of crisis. Now, I'm going to read another passage out of the book. This is uh, continuing with the story of David, uh, the son of Irene and Stuart. So one morning I woke with the phrase, called David's mighty men. This was uh, the father, Stuart. I instinctively thought of the mighty men who fought for the well-being of King David, and so I began to call people who were friends or prayer warriors to stand with us each day throughout the week until we received the prognosis we desired. We chose people who were willing to stand with our focus, which was to see David delivered, set free, and healed. On our first prayer meeting, I gave a clear ultimatum. I said, the only people we want to be involved are those who will stand with us for David's full healing. I did not see this as trying to avoid reality, but as a clear focus on God's perfect will for our son. The people who gathered around us really did become David's mighty men. Each of them carried weight in the battle. We felt our arms were consistently being lifted up. Not only did these mighty men and women pray, they also prophesied. Week after week, scriptures were declared over David concerning his future. We pronounced that he would not lose his sight. This was a diagnosis that the doctors had said, that he would probably lose his sight. So they countered that faith-killing declaration with a faith-building or faith-revealing declaration that David would not lose his sight. Week by week, new levels of confidence began to grip us. See, if you let the negative come in and settle, week by week, it will take you down, and you will get lower and lower and lower and sadder and sadder and more defeated and more defeated. But when you surround yourself with these faith revealers, faith builders, it will build you up. It will build your confidence. It will lead you to higher ground. And it will give you a confidence. And we need help. And I'm not saying everybody, we should all be progressing, but especially when you first start out, you need help. You need strong uh, faith revealers, you know, to stand alongside you. And like you said, to lift your arms up, keep your arms up, praising the Lord. Uh, and uh, taking on some of the weight of the burden. Answers to prayer began to flow. They even started, other people were noticing the situation in the hospital, and other people were coming, and they were praying and, and declaring over other children in the hospital. And this was answers not only to their prayers with David, but answers were uh, to prayer for a lot of the children in the hospital were, were beginning to flow. Men and women of faith surrounded us during this critical time in our lives. They believed in us enough to stand with us for as long as it took. David's healing has now fully manifested. He never lost his sight. They, they pronounced side effect after side effect and problem after problem, and not one of them came to pass. And he was uh, announced and pronounced cancer-free. 
Now we need to, like this, surround ourselves, but then we need to immerse ourselves with the written word. We need to immerse ourselves with, with books. It doesn't have to be limited to people. We need to immerse ourselves with books and music and teachings, listening to sermons that reveal Jesus, preachers that lead us to Jesus. Now, this is so important. You can't attend just any religious service and think it's a faith builder and think it's of God. Like I said before, the enemy's biggest weapon is religion and church, and there are many religious situations that are evil, disguised as a church or a ministry. And we think that just because we're going to this ministry, we're going to what they call a church, that it's a good thing. And we go from place to place to place. And what it's doing is a lot of these places are evil in disguise. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. The word says to watch out for this. If they are not teaching and leading us to Jesus and revealing Jesus, then it's a ministry that you need to question and ask if you really should be here. If they are speaking, just like Fran and I, if they are speaking anti-Christ words, saying that it's not God's will to heal you, that it, uh, um, uh, you never know, you know if it's God's uh, will to do this. These are ministries, especially in the fight, it's going that you need to stay away from. But there are a lot of good ministries out there. And there is a lot of good music. Um, I was sharing with someone even that don't listen to all Christian music even. There is a lot of Christian music that is anti-Christ. There's a lot of Christian music that just talks about the sovereignty of God and whatever will be, will be. And God is in control. And we just have to you know, put up with it the best we can until we die and get to go to heaven. Those are anti-Christ words. And if you're listening to a song, just because it's a catchy tune, don't listen to it. Separate yourself from it. Get that song out. If that song is not revealing Jesus, and if it's not revealing the truth of the word, get it out. But there are a lot of great songs that do reveal Jesus and do reveal the truth. And music, there's some about music, and it's some about our bodies. We relate to music so easily. We can hear a song in, uh, on the radio, and two days later, you're still singing that song in your, in your head. I had it happen over the weekend. Two days later, I still had the same song in my head. That's how powerful music is. So fill yourself with good, solid, faith-filled uh, music that leads you to Jesus. You know, there's songs that now, I mean, it just, ugh, just gives me, like, and I don't mean to insult anybody, but, you know, there's a song that's, uh, I am a friend of God. That's good. But I am a child of God. I am a son of God. My friends have benefits. But my children have everything that I have. I, they have way more benefits than a friend. That song, I Am a Friend of God, is an Old Testament song. It's an Old Covenant song. That's as close as that they could get to God in the Old Covenant, was to be a friend 
of God. But in the new covenant, what we're under, we are children of God. We are sons. We are daughters. We have all the rights and privileges of a son and a daughter. We get to use the name. That's what we have the name of Christ. We get to use the name. Just like my son is a veer. He, get he gets to use the name of veers and all of the mighty benefits that <laughs> includes. <clears throat> but comparing me to God is, is no comparison. We have the name of God. Another one is to show me the glory. Show me your glory, God. Show me your glory like Moses. We want to see your glory like Moses. And, and that doesn't even take a rocket scientist to figure out it's an Old Testament, Old Covenant you know, song. I don't want to see the glory like Moses. Moses saw the backside of God. I want to see the glory of Jesus that came down from the mountain embracing. His glory didn't fade. He revealed his glory. That's the glory that we have inside of us now that we're supposed to be revealing. And that's why I said as, a, as we wash away the old thinking and we reveal Christ, the glory of Christ comes out of us. We have the glory of God inside of us to the fullest. We pray for God to send his glory down, to send his presence, to send his spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The spirit is in you. You've got the glory of God in you. We just need to renew our mind to that fact, and then we'll start revealing the glory of God for us and for others. As we show the love of God, the compassion of God, the healing of God, the life of God, that he's not mad at you, that he's not condemning you, that he is not um, disappointed with us, that he is a God of compassion, that's the glory of God. And that's what we are called as born-again believers to reveal. A true faith builder will always point you to the word. And there, we've, I've seen healing ministries where they, they get so caught up in the signs and wonders that it's like if they do talk about the word, they, just, they want to talk about the word for five minutes and then and then get into the signs and the wonders and see, you know, people falling on the floor and, uh, you know, crawling around like snakes, you know, saying that's, you know, evidence that the power of God is there. Well, the power of the devil can be there too. But when the word is taught, signs and wonders follow the word. We should not be following signs and wonders. Shouldn't be looking for the signs and wonders first. We should be looking for the word first. Jesus went around teaching and preaching and then healing. He taught the word, he preached the word, and then people's faith started focusing on him, then he healed them. Never discount, and I've said this several times here, never discount the power of the word. That's where the power is. Do not go to a ministry that they, all they, and some now, they don't even teach the word, they just go right to the, the healing and the laying hands of on people. That's not, that's not right. That's not scripture. The word is where the focus has got to be. The word is Jesus. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Not full of condemnation, not full of accusations, not full of pointing and saying, you 
people better straighten up and you better confess all your sins. No. Full of grace and truth. This phrase is used so much and we, we tend to overlook it and miss the power and the importance of it. And it's all through the New Testament and the epistles, especially after Jesus. The four Gospels is, is really bringing the Old Covenant to an end. Jesus, there's a lot of uh, teaching in the Old Testament, I mean in the four Gospels that are still under the Old Covenant. And you have to be aware of that when you're reading the four Gospels because we just, we think it's part of the New Covenant. Part of it is the four Gospels. The New Covenant started after Jesus died and then he was resurrected. Okay, so a lot of times Jesus is addressing people that still think that they can uh, obtain their righteousness by obeying the law. If you present to God and to Jesus the law and think that you can uh, uh, live up to God's righteousness by obeying the law, then that's how Jesus is going to answer you. He's going to let you try. That's with the rich young ruler who came and he was saying, uh, you know, what do I need to do you know, to get in the kingdom of God? And Jesus told him, you've you got to give up all your riches. And uh, he, was, he started listing off all the commandments that he obeyed. You know, he didn't do any of these things wrong. But Jesus knew that he was breaking the first one that he should not have any other gods before our God. And he shouldn't have any idols. Money was his God. So Jesus was revealing to him what his, his God was. And that's why he was saying that you, you can't have anything to do with my king because you, you're breaking the first one. So he came presenting to the law or presenting the law that he was good enough and that he was obeying the law. And Jesus, that's how Jesus answered him. Well, see, you can take that out of context and say, you know, that that applies to uh, a new covenant believer, and it, and it doesn't. Jesus was uh, addressing and trying to bring this young man to the end of himself. He was revealing to him that he was lying and that he was revealing to him who his real God was, trying to bring him to the end of himself. That's what the law was meant to do, is bring us to the end of ourselves where we just admit we cannot do this. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. But the phrase in the New Testament that is so key and so powerful and over and over again is Christ in you or Jesus in you or Jesus Christ in you. It's over and over and over again. The faith of Jesus Christ. Find people that have the faith of Jesus Christ. Find people that will help you stay focused on the word and keep revealing Christ in you. Colossians 1.27 To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by, and that word should be translated in, uh, and I, I can show you in depth, but I don't have time now, but 
It should be, I live in the faith of the Son of God. Now see, this is the King James Version, and they get this translation correct, that we live by the faith of the Son of God. We don't live by the faith in the Son of God. See, there's a big difference. When you have faith in something, things can go wrong. Things can go off track. You now start judging yourself on the, your actions and the way you're doing things, and you say, oh, now my, my faith is faltering. My faith is getting less. I'm not sure if I have faith in Jesus or my faith isn't as strong in Jesus today. But when you're living by the faith of the Son of God, the faith can never waver. It's the faith of Jesus. That's the faith that you have inside of you. We live by the faith of the Son of God, not faith in the Son of God. This one little word changes everything. Faith of the Son of God. You have the faith of the Son of God. Uh, Galatians 2.20, and it's, it's Young's literal translation, but I like to call it uh, Yoda living translation because the way it's worded, it sounds like Yoda talking. It says, With Christ I have been crucified and live no more do I. And Christ doeth live in me and that which I live in the flesh, in the faith I live of the Son of God, who did love me and did give himself for me. And it's a little hard to understand because what Young's literal translation, it actually translates the way it's written out. It doesn't take the Greek word and then change it into like a grammatically correct sentence in English. It literally translated the way the Greek writes it. So it it comes out a little funny, but the truth is there because uh, it says, in the faith, in the faith, I live of the Son of God. So it's saying, in the faith of the Son of God, I live. That's where your life... See, your flesh is crucified at the cross with Jesus. You died. Your old man died. But then you were resurrected with Jesus. And now you live. See, the old you is done. It's not your faith. Your faith has nothing to do with it anymore. Your faith, you're done. You're dead. But now you're resurrected in Christ. And now he's given you his faith. That's the life you have. You have the life. You have the faith of the Son of God now because you are resurrected in him. Now, Paul dealt with this right away. And Galatians is a letter addressing this situation. They were born-again believers, but they were trying to go back under the law. They were trying to go back under performance mentality and, and trying to earn their position and establish their faith and their righteousness. Paul says in, in Galatians 4.19, my little children, so he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to unbelievers. My little children, for whom I am again suffering birth pangs until Christ is completely and permanently formed or molded within you. So he's talking about believers, that he's trying to show them that you're living by the faith of the Son of God. You have the life of Christ in you. Stop 
performing for it. Stop doing the rituals of the law under the old covenant and understand that you are dead to that and you are alive in Christ. The Greek word uh, for formed here in this verse is morphu. It's where we get our English word morph. Uh, With all the superhero movies that we have out now, uh, this is a common... uh, uh, characteristic of some of the superheroes is they're able to morph. They're able to change from one character to another, to one position to another. And uh, this is the idea that we've got to get. The definition of morph is to change the form or character of, transform, or to undergo transformation, especially to undergo transformation from an image of one object into that of another. See, that's what Paul is trying to do. I'm trying to get you to morph from your old person that's dead. I want you to morph into Jesus Christ. I want that to be formed in you and revealed in you. Transformed. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we have to renew our mind. We still want to do it the old way. We still want to do it our flesh way, which if we would recognize and understand is dead. But you need to be transformed. You need to renew your mind to this fact that you are as Jesus is and that you have and you are living by the faith of the Son of God. So that you may prove what the will of God is. See, when we get this mind, we, we have the mind of Christ. So we start doing the will of God. We start acting the way God acts. And we don't do foolish, perverted things anymore. We don't have this belief of, you know, the word of faith that, that so many people have this um, antagonism about that... Um, the name it and claim it, everything. We don't have this mind that, okay, name it, I'm gonna, I want a Jaguar for a car, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to uh, you know, speak and declare that I'm going to get a Jaguar you know, by the end of the year, whatever it takes. You know, if uh, i got to get people to you know, give me money or whatever, I'm going to get a Jaguar. See, that's, that's foolishness. That's not the will of God. You know, when we get the mind of Christ, then we go about doing the will of God. We have compassion, and our eyes really are, should be taken off of ourselves. That's why God wants you healed and well. Being sick and broke and disgusted, all it does is keep your eyes on yourself. And for the church to teach that God might be teaching you a lesson by being sick, what's it do? It just keeps your eyes on yourself. You're totally focused on yourself, and rightfully so. You've got to be. And see, so that's why the enemy wants you to think that it's God that doing it. So you don't do anything about it. You just accept it. But God wants you well. And when we understand that and we see that now when we are well and we are healed and we are well supplied for, then now we can take our eyes off of ourselves and focus on others and have compassion and let God love others through us and do his will, and bring his will to this earth as it's done in heaven. 
Many Christians are still conformed to this world and its systems. They do it the exact way that the world does it. There is absolutely no difference at all. The only thing different is that they say that they're born again and they're going to go to heaven when they die. But they do everything else the way the world does it. That's not what Romans 12, 2 says. Do not be conformed. Do not be in a mold of the world and do things the way the world does it. Be transformed. Be morphed by the renewing of your mind to who you are in Christ. And you'll start doing things the way God wants you to do them, the way God does them, and the way Jesus does them. As we read Romans 10 in a minute here, uh, we want, I want to notice, want you to notice, that the Word should be our top faith builder, if you want to call it, or revealer, which is in Rome, Romans 10, 17. But then it also, in Romans 10, it talks about uh, believing and then speaking. And the Word is our top faith revealer. But we can't just read it. You have to meditate on it. And Cindy taught on this last week. You have to take the God's word and you have to, however you received it, from a preacher, from me, don't believe this because I'm telling you. You take what I'm telling you, take notes, and you go home and you search this out for yourself. See, that's when it'll become your revelation if you start seeing things in the green you know, with what uh, is in the Word. That's what turns it into your revelation. Don't ever try to live off of somebody else's revelation because that's just a, a matter of time before the wheels come off because it was not uh, something that is built up. And it's, it's important to hear testimonies. It's important to hear teaching. But a teacher should be leading you to the Word, leading you to Jesus, and then having you see Jesus for yourself, having you see the word for yourself, having it revealed to you, having it built up in you, in your heart. So then when situations happen, when the next time the diagnosis comes up, then you don't fall apart like a a $2 suitcase. You know what to stand on now for yourself, and you don't have to run to somebody else. So... Like Cindy said last week, the, the meditate, and I had taught that lesson uh, before that the definition of the Hebrew word haga, which is meditate, the definition is, is actually a progressive um, uh, interpretation of the word. And it starts off to utter or mutter, which you just start saying to yourself, talking to yourself, and then meditating, thinking about it, and then imagining, like you heard, by Jesus' stripes are healed. Now you imagine, you see yourself well. You see yourself healed. You see yourself doing things that they tell you you're not going to be able to do anymore. Then you start speaking it and say, I am healed. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. And then the final step is you roar. Now you start. Nobody's going to convince you otherwise. You start shouting it from the rooftops. And I, used to, I got this way when I was meditating on the Word and I would uh, get something, you know, have a long drive back and forth to work. I mean, I'd be screaming in my car. And most of the time it was good things. I was screaming and roaring 
about the good news, that I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus, and nothing is going to steal that away from me. Nobody's going to convince me any different. You know, the doctors, when they, even when I, they said they couldn't find a, a trace of cancer in my body, but, see that stupid word, but, but, it's always getting our way. And they said, but, you know, chances are it'll probably come back, and we might, you better go through, uh, we want you to go through the chemo and the, and the treatment anyway. <laughs> and we had grown enough there where we had the boldness, and I don't recommend this for me, but this was my revelation at the time that said, thank you very much. We didn't tell them yes or no, but we walked out, and it was right before Christmas, and Never went back, and that was, what, seven, eight years ago? Yeah, <laughs> never went back, you know, for a treatment. Because I got the revelation that I am healed, and nobody's going to take that away from me. When the written word... See, that's what's important. When the written word becomes revelation to us, that's when we start speaking it and really roaring it. Because a lot of times people will speak it, but they're just mimicking. They're just like a, a parrot. They're parroting, you know, because they think it's... And, and that's fine, you know, to start, to start there. Because when you start doing that, if, that's another way of, of uh, having the faith revealed into you, as I speak it. But a lot of times people don't really believe it. They're just saying it. They're just saying it because they think it's the, it's the right thing to say. And I'm not it is the right thing to say, but when they don't have a revelation of that in their heart, they're just saying in their idle words because there's no belief behind it. So let's read Romans 10 here, uh, 5 through 17. It says, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. See, that's the end of sin. Christ has came. He's finished the work. See, when you start talking about sin and have confess your sins, you're saying, oh, we've got to bring Christ back down. And now his work wasn't good enough. This is saying that, admit the work is finished. Okay, stop trying to bring Christ down and crucify him again and start saying that he, stop saying that he needs to be resurrected again. The work is finished. Sin has been dealt with. Okay, sin has circumstances and sin will damage you, Absolutely. But when you get under this sin consciousness, then that's all you think about is sin. We need to have a righteousness conscious. We need to be thinking that we are righteous. You are no longer a sinner saved by grace. You are a righteous child of God. You are in a righteous position. That's the position you are. When you start revealing the position that you're already in, you'll start acting like it and you'll stop sinning. Because a righteous person doesn't sin but it's not by the works of the law. It's not by, don't you do that. Don't you do that. No, it's because you understand now who you are. You are righteous. I am a righteous person. What does righteous person do? They do righteous things. What does the sinner do? 
And you keep telling yourself you're a sinner, and the church keeps telling you you're a sinner. A lot of churches keep telling you you're a sinner, and you've got to confess your sins. It keeps you sin conscious. What do sinners do? They sin. And that's why you see in these churches that are so big on the confession, it's full of sin. Even the leaders of the church. Because they have a sin consciousness. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. And that's the thing. People have a problem with word of faith. It's right in the Bible. Word of faith. <laughs> Just, But people have perverted it. And I'm not saying there's not bad perversions out there of the word of faith. But word of faith is scriptural. Word of faith is right in the word. Word of faith, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. That's salvation right there. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this doesn't just mean you get to go to heaven when you die. Salvation, which Cindy has taught over and over, the word, the Greek word salvation and soteria, it's for health and life and wholeness and completeness here and now. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. How beautiful are the preachers that tell you of the compassion of God, the love of God. It doesn't say how beautiful are the feet of the preacher that gets up there and condemns you and beats you with the word of God. It's how beautiful are the feet who bring the good news, the gospel, the good news of good things, of that God wants you well, that you are healed by the stripes of Jesus. This is good news. This is the type of faith revealer you need to seek out. This, the preacher revealing Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news. If you're not in a position or a place that is doing that, you know, there's a lot of ministries that, that they teach out of the Old Testament. And the, teaching out of the Old Testament is fine if you bring out the revelation of Jesus. The, all the Old Testament was uh, um, Jesus concealed. So the Old Testament, if taught, has to reveal Jesus Christ. You cannot teach from the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and not bring out Jesus Christ. The old covenant will bring out condemnation. The old covenant will bring out guilt if it's not revealed. Jesus Christ is not revealed. Verse 16 says, However, they did not all hear the good news or heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? We see that in the world today. A lot of people that... They hear it even, but they don't believe it. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of, and this is important, the word of or concerning Christ. Most 
translations say faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And that's, it is true. It's technically true. But you go back, the original, original Greek manuscripts actually say, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The Greek word is Christos. And see, it really, in the context, it really should be stated. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of or concerning Christ. It's the word of God concerning Christ. That's what the Bible is. That's what the word is. The word, we read that before. Jesus is the word. So why shouldn't the word be concerning Christ? See, because a lot of people take, and uh, they say faith comes of a hearing by the word of God. If you just re- talk about the word of God, sometimes, like, like I just said with the old covenant, you can be very condemned. Faith doesn't come by that. I can go to uh, passages right now in the Old Covenant and just preach hellfire and brimstone to you till you're reaped with guilt. But that's not concerning Christ. Jesus bore all of our judgment on the cross for us. He became us. He became sin. He became us. We died at that cross. So the word has to concern Christ. Everything has got to reveal Christ. That's what the word is. It's, and that's why it ends with revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to be bringing out of the word. And yeah, the word, and I mean, just translated faith coming here by the word of God is fine as long as you understand that the word of God is Christ. The word is Christ. The word became flesh. And we need to find a scripture to stand on regarding our situation. And as we were talking about before, we meditate until we roar. And I'm just giving you an example here. Just, this is one way to do it. Like I picked out Psalms 119, 89 through 90. It says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. Okay, you can read that. That sounds good. And you can let it go. You can go on to the next passage. But meditating it is forever, O Lord. Forever, O Lord. How long is forever? Wow, that's a really long time. Forever. Let me look up the word forever from the Hebrew word. And it's easy to do today. Very easy to do. You can look up the original meanings of the, of the word. Words. The word Hebrew word forever, it means everlasting, perpetual. It doesn't stop. Continuous existence. Unending future. So now you start mulling those are. Wow, unending future. Continuous existence. Forever, O Lord. Your word is settled in heaven. Settled. Let me look up the word settled. Settled means to stand, be set, be fixed, established. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. And I looked up faithfulness. It means true, truth, stability. And just like Fran taught on, the truth. You set the truth between you and whatever is trying to come at you. Stability, steady, truly, verily. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. All generations. From the time this was written 
from David until now, all generations. So that's just a, a snippet of, of how you meditate. You just don't, don't read a verse. I mean, break it apart. You know, start you know, studying words, individual words, the deep meaning of the words. Start studying the places, just like I did with Bethsaida. If you just read it, why did Jesus pull Bethsaida out of town? Well, when you study about it, Bethsaida was full of evil, it was full of doubt, it was full of unbelievers. So that's why Jesus, Jesus pulled them out. This is what brings the word to life for us. And there's such a benefit on meditating on God's word. The power of hearing about Jesus. We need to hear about Jesus. We need to experience Jesus and speak about Jesus. I'm not going to read this whole thing, uh, but in Mark 5, and let's see, verses uh, 1 to... um, goes down to... Uh, verse uh, goes down to verse 21. And this is a story about the demoniac, the guy that was filled with demons, and Jesus went and, uh, and healed him. And I want to bring out something inter- interesting that... Um, let's see, let's see if I can read that part. Uh, in verse, starting at verse 14, it says, So those who fed the swine fled. This is after the demons were cast into the swine and they jumped off the cliff because they knew it was better to, be, to commit suicide than to be possessed with demons. <laughs> That's why Jesus didn't send them off. The animals knew better and they just jumped off. So no way do we want to be possessed with demons. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they were afraid. And so so much of the church is afraid of the healing of God. Aren't they? So much of the church is afraid of the healing. But they haven't heard about Jesus. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him and how he had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart. They asked Jesus to leave. That's what a lot of churches do. <laughs> Just leave, Jesus. We don't want to deal with this. We don't want to even bring up the message of healing you know, because somebody might not be healed and then that's going to make us look bad. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him, begged Jesus that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion and has had compassion and grace on you. And he departed and began to proclaim to Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now see, this is the importance. This is the preacher with the good news. And notice that Jesus didn't say, go and tell those people to repent. Go tell them that they're sinning. These, even these herdsmen, that were, uh, they were Hebrews that had Jews who had swine, pigs. They weren't supposed to have pigs at all. But did Jesus bring that up? No. He said, go and show them the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Now, in the next page is Mark 6, 53, 56. Now, it's another thing. If you don't do a little study, you'll miss this. Because 
uh, in Mark 5, verse 1, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Okay? Verse, or Mark 6, on the next page, in verse 53, says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds who were those who were sick, and wherever the and I'm sorry, ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched him were made well. Now, like I said, if you don't study this out, it looks like this is two different places. But when you research this, the Gadarenes and the Gennesaret, they're the same, they're the same area. So that's yep. all this is. From Gadarenes is more specific, Gennesaret is uh, a larger area. What happened is this man that Jesus wouldn't let come with him and he said to tell or go and tell you know the people what great things the Lord has done for you and that he has compassion on you just like the preacher is supposed to do then the people the same people that begged him to leave that begged Jesus to leave because they're afraid of him they ran to Jesus and they were bringing people everybody they could find they were bringing to Jesus because they heard about Jesus from this man, and they heard about the compassion of God and the good things, the great things that God had done for this man. And they were no longer afraid, but now they were seeking Jesus out. Man, I've run out of time, but uh, there's a couple other instances. Read this Mark 5 chapter when you get home, um, because the same situation. Uh, is with the woman with the issue of blood in verse 25 in Mark 5. Verse 27, I'm she had an issue of blood for 12 years, but verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she became, or came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She heard the word. She obviously meditated on it. I believe she found a passage in Malachi that says by uh, the son's wings of righteousness, there will be healing in his wings. And if you study that out, it means the tassels of the prayer shawl. Jesus was wearing a prayer shawl that they had tassels on it. And she heard that verse. She heard that about Jesus. And she said, if he is the son of God, if he is our savior, if I touch his tassels, there's healing in those tassels, I will be healed. So she heard the word, she meditated on it, she believed it, she spoke it, and she was healed. Just what Romans, exactly what Romans 10 just told us to do. But she heard about Jesus. She heard the word first. And then she spoke. She believed the word. Then she spoke and she was healed. 